Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, the verses 1 through 3, and these verses also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, I intend this morning to begin a new series of sermons on the book of Revelation. But I do that with some hesitation. And that because the book is not easy to interpret. For example, this book contains many strange numbers. We've got the number seven, the number 666, the number 12, the number 144,000. It also contains many strange creatures. We read here of a beast with seven heads and ten horns rising up out of the sea. We read of a dragon and a lamb that was slain. It also contains many strange scenes. We see in one chapter horsemen riding across the world, stars falling to the earth, two witnesses who are killed and then rise again, and a woman giving birth to a child while a dragon waits to devour it. What does all this mean? Well, it's not always easy to say. It's the stuff of myths and legends, or so we think. In fact, some have speculated that this is the reason why John Calvin never preached on this book. He preached on almost every other book of the Bible, but not this one, presumably because it is so difficult to interpret. So why then have I chosen to preach on this book? Well, several reasons. First of all, because this book too is part of Holy Scripture. And because of that, Paul says it's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that alone is reason enough to study this book. But secondly, there are many false views of this book in the church today. Back in the early 1970s, a man by the name of Hal Lindsey published a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. It was the best-selling non-fiction book of that decade. Ten million copies were in circulation by the end of the 70s, 35 million by 1999. It was also translated into more than 50 languages. A 1977 movie version narrated by Orson Welles ran in theaters across the United States and was later broadcast on HBO. Lindsay interpreted the events of Revelation in light of current events. He argued, for example, that the European Union would give rise to the Antichrist who would rule the world. He also predicted that the world would end in nuclear war between the United States and Russia. 
Well, a few decades later, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins wrote a series of novels known as the Left Behind series, which also sold millions of copies. In this series, LaHaye and Jenkins imagine what the world will be like after the so-called rapture and during the so-called Great Tribulation. Both of these books had a profound impact on many people, even though most of what they teach is completely fanciful and certainly cannot be corroborated by Scripture. We need to be aware of these things and guard ourselves against them. Thirdly, this book speaks very much to the times in which we're living today. Most commentators believe that John wrote the book of Revelation around the year 95 AD. That was a time of great persecution. And as we hope to see next time, John himself wrote this epistle while he himself was in exile on the island of Patmos, in the Mediterranean Sea. Now, we're not experiencing the same kind of persecution today, but I am convinced we will more and more. And during such times, the book of Revelation offers us great comfort. And that's because the theme of this book is Christ is King, and he will overcome all of the forces that oppose him and his people. In a word, the theme of this book is Christ wins. Knowing that enables us and encourages us to take up the good fight of faith with renewed zeal and hope. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's begin our study of this wonderful book with the first three verses of the first chapter. And we do so under the theme, John's introduction to the book of Revelation. And we'll see that in this introduction, John sets forth three things. First of all, he sets forth the subject of this revelation. Secondly, the communication of this revelation. And thirdly, the blessedness of this revelation. So what is the book of Revelation all about? What is its primary subject? Well, most people today would say that the book of Revelation is about the end times. And there's certainly some truth to that. The book of Revelation does indeed speak about what will happen in the end times just prior to the coming, the second coming of Christ. But that is not the primary subject of this book. Nor is it about the geopolitical state of the world and its consequences, like how Lindsay would have us believe. Well, what then is it? What is this book about? Well, in a word, it's about Christ. And John says as much in verse 1. There, John tells us that this book is the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And that's really the theme of the entire book, isn't it? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So this book is about Christ. Now we can interpret that phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, in one of two ways. It can mean the revelation that is from Jesus Christ, or it can also mean the revelation that concerns or is about Jesus Christ. And both of these are true, aren't they? This vision is not only from Jesus, in the sense that it is mediated by him through his angel, but it is also about him. Dr. Joel Beakey, in his commentary on this book, emphasizes that point strongly. He writes, This book is about Jesus Christ, not the Pope, Adolf Hitler, Napoleon Bonaparte, Saddam Hussein, or any other person in world history. It has much to say about world history and tells us much about the motives and methods of world leaders, but it is primarily focused on Jesus Christ and his further revelation of himself to his church. 
Martin Luther once commented that he had a hard time accepting revelation as part of the canon of scripture on the grounds that there was nothing of Christ in it, at least so he, so he thought. But he was wrong because the entire book of Revelation is about Christ. According to one commentator, it, does, it reveals Christ in three ways. First of all, the book of Revelation reveals Christ as God made manifest and who is therefore worthy of the worship that is due to God alone. Secondly, it reveals Christ as the fulfiller of God's promises, who has accomplished the mission that God had given him to do. And thirdly, it reveals Christ as the model for the people of God to follow. And this last one, this commentator says, is central for John. And he points out that, and I quote, John is not simply writing a theological treatise on the person and work of Christ. He is writing to the people of God. And he is not just telling us some great facts about Jesus. He is exhorting the churches to overcome as Jesus did. In other words, to be like Jesus. Consequently, he writes, As we survey the book of Revelation to discern how Jesus is portrayed, it is important to note that the book of Revelation not only describes Christ in terms of his person, that he is God made manifest, and he is the resurrected and glorified Lord of all creation who is worthy of worship, but also as the one who has gone before us, and therefore the one whom we are called to follow and imitate. And I submit to you that is a hugely comforting message to the church. First of all, it was comforting for the church at the time that this book was written. I mentioned already that this was a time of persecution. It wasn't easy being a Christian. There was also a lot of false teaching and deadness in the church, as we'll see when we consider the letters to the seven churches. And, and John was aware of this. And so what did he do? How did he minister to the people of his day and age? He pointed them to Christ. He assured them that although the powers of evil rise up against Christ and his people, and they do considerable damage to his cause, yet he will overcome them all. He will, as Psalm 2 says, have them in derision. No one will topple him from his throne. And we who believe on his name will live and reign with him forever. It's a comforting book for the day in which John lived, but it's also a comforting book for the church today. Like the believers in the first century, we too are facing greater and greater opposition. And it may very well be that in our lifetime, we will even experience persecution. But this book reminds us that we have nothing to fear. Jesus reigns. He has achieved the victory. He has won the battle. And we who believe on his name will also share in that victory. And so Christ is the subject of this revelation. But how did we get this revelation? In what form did it come to us? That brings us to our second point. According to our text, the book of Revelation came to us in four ways. First of all, it came to us as a revelation. John says he's going to present to us in this book a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now the word for revelation in the Greek language is apocalypsis, from which we get the English word apocalypse. Literally, the word apocalypse means to unveil, to disclose, 
or to make something that was previously hidden or kept secret to make that known, to reveal it. Think, for example, of a sculpture. An artist spends many hours chiseling away at the rock from which the sculpture is made. And when it's done, he covers it with a cloth. And then when he gathers his fellow artists and the general public together, he unveils his masterpiece. He pulls the cloth off to reveal what he has created. And this is what John is doing in this book. He's unveiling Christ. He's going to show us things about Christ that we did not see before. But this word also tells us something about the genre of this book. In other words, what kind of literature it is. You may know that there are many types of literature out there. There's narrative and there's fable. There's poems, sonnets, fantasies, science fiction, and so on. Well, the book of Revelation is its own genre. It is an apocalyptic genre. And as we'll see, it is also a prophecy, as John writes in verse 3. But it's also a letter, as he indicates in verses 4 to 6. But it's mainly apocalyptic. Apocalyptic literature flourished during and even slightly beyond the intertestamental period. That's the period between the prophet of Malachi and the New Testament, a period of around 400 years. Early forms of this particular genre began developing before Israel's exile in Babylon. The Bible books of Daniel and Ezekiel are examples of this kind of literature. Apocalyptic books usually feature an angel who presents dramatic visions to portray the clash between good and evil. They also employ vivid symbols, including symbolic numbers to depict the spiritual realities unfolding behind the scenes of history. An apocalypse usually contains the message that God is going to burst into history in a dramatic and unexpected way, despite all appearances that God's people are facing oppression and defeat. Now, while there are differences between Revelation and other apocalyptic books, it fits the basic description of this literary genre. Realizing the kind of book that Revelation is will greatly influence our approach and help us in interpreting it. For example, knowing that Revelation is apocalyptic means we cannot interpret everything in it literally, such as the dragon or the beasts or the bottomless pit or the stars falling to the earth and the numbers. One commentator explains it like this. He says, when we're reading the Bible's historical books, such as Samuel and Acts, we will normally take the plain literal meaning unless there is a compelling reason to interpret a passage otherwise. In studying Revelation, however, we should reverse this approach and interpret visions symbolically unless there is a good reason to take the passage literally. And this is not to say that the visions do not depict real events, whether in John's time or in the future, but that the events are presented symbolically rather than literally. And we need to keep that in mind going forward. Secondly, John tells us that this book came to us as a divine vision. John writes in verse 2 that he bore witness to all things that he saw. He doesn't say that he heard, but that he saw. In fact, throughout Revelation, John describes what he saw. And that's not unusual. God also communicated 
to the Old Testament prophets through visions. And he does the same thing here. In Revelation, God communicates his truth through visions. And John dutifully and faithfully wrote them down. Thirdly, John says this book came to us as prophecy. He writes in verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now, we usually understand prophecy as something that foretells the future. But in the Bible, most prophecy does not speak about the future as much as it applies the word of God to the present. There may be indications about the future, but by and large, prophecy is given so that we may know how to live for God's glory in the present. In fact, Revelation 1 verse 1 says, God gave this revelation to Christ to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And at the end of verse 3, God says these servants should keep these things which are written in this book, for the time is near. And so we have in this book a revelation of things that will happen soon, and events that are near. Now many commentators see a connection here to Daniel chapter 2. There Daniel sees a vision of a stone made without hands, and this stone came tumbling down the mountain, smashing a statue made of different materials. And this statue represented four different kingdoms, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Media Persia, the kingdom of Greece, and the kingdom of Rome. The stone represented the kingdom of Christ. And the point of the vision is that one day, as Daniel says, the latter days, The kingdom of Christ will smash and replace the kingdoms of this earth, and it alone will remain. Now, John picks up on this, and he says, as it were, this book picks up where Daniel left off. Now I am going to tell you the rest of the story. Now I'm going to tell you what happens next, and it starts right now. Fourthly, and most importantly, this book came to us from God through Jesus Christ. John writes, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. And so we learn here that John didn't make this book up. This book is not a fairy tale, nor is it a book of fantasy, even though it contains elements of both. It is the inspired word of God. John received it ultimately from God, which was then mediated by Christ through an angel to John who recorded it for Christ's servants. And that explains why John refers to this book as the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ in verse 2. Now the implications of all this are huge and far-reaching. First of all, since this revelation is from God, we need to take it seriously. And that means we should not be too quick to lay it aside or skip over parts of it just because we get confused and we don't understand it. It's the word of God. It comes from him. And therefore, we must treat it with reverence and take it seriously and work hard at understanding what it means. We should also respond to it in faith. We should believe its promises. We should obey its commands. We should pay heed to its admonitions and to its warnings. We should ponder its mysteries. We should treat and respond to this book no differently than any other book of Holy Scripture. 
Secondly, since this revelation in every part of God's word is from God, there is a unity and a harmony between this book and the rest of the Bible. That means that we can interpret difficult portions of revelation by comparing them with clear teachings elsewhere, especially the Old Testament, which revelation draws on heavily. Indeed, as we hope to see, it's as we compare Scripture with Scripture that so many of the confusing aspects of this book become very clear. And so the book of Revelation came to us as a revelation, as a divine vision, as a prophecy, and from God. And this sets it apart from every other book of the Bible. But there's something else that sets it apart. John says that whoever reads this book will receive a particular blessing. And that brings us to our third and final point. John concludes his prologue with a beatitude. It comes in verse 3. He says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now the word read could perhaps better be translated as read aloud. And that's because during the first century, books were very rare and expensive as they had to be copied by hand. What is more, very few people during this time could read. And as a result, this and all the other books of the Bible had to be read publicly in the worship service by a person appointed for that task. Now, strikingly, John pronounces a blessing on such persons. Why? Well, because as mentioned, this was a time of persecution. To read the scriptures publicly required courage and a strong devotion to Jesus Christ. Consequently, the person who reads that book would be blessed. But so would the person who hears, and especially those who keep the things that are written in it. To keep the book of Revelation means to treasure its message and to obey the commands of Christ given in it. And that connects with John's description of his readers as God's servants in chapter 1, verse 1. Literally, the word doulos means slave. The point is that True believers are those who, like slaves, do whatever their master bids them, no matter what the cost. And such people will be blessed by God. We're reminded here, as James also teaches us, that it's not enough only to read or to hear the word of God. We must also do what it says. If all we do is read and hear and do not do, then the words that we read and hear will only testify against us. The point is, those who read and hear and keep the words of this book will be blessed. In what way? Well, several ways. First of all, they will be blessed because they will come to know Christ in a deeper way. As already mentioned, this book is about Christ. So when we read carefully and ponder its message, applying it to our our lives and to our hearts, we'll become better acquainted with him. And that is its own blessing. Secondly, They will be blessed because they will have a perspective through which to view history and the events of the present day. Not in the sense that everything that happens is a fulfillment of prophecy, but in the sense that whatever happens, happens for a reason. And it points to the fact that God is in control, also the events that happen on earth. And he's using whatever is happening around us to accomplish his purposes and to propel history further and further to its ultimate conclusion, which is the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. And equipped with this perspective, we do not have to live our lives in fear and uncertainty. 
Rather, we can face the future with courage and boldness, no matter what the future may bring, knowing that Christ will achieve the final victory. Oh, my friend, do you want to share in this blessing? Then you must read and hear and keep the prophecy of this book. And you must do so now. For you notice the urgency expressed at the end of this verse. John says, for the time is near. That needs to be read in conjunction with what John writes in verse 1, when he says that God in Christ sent this revelation to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And by means of these expressions, John is reminding us that the events that are prophesied in this book are not things that will take take place in the far-off future, but they're things that are taking place right now even today. And since that is so, we must make haste. We must read and hear and keep the prophecy of this book. And those who do shall be blessed. What about those who do not? Well, then the converse is true. You will not be blessed, but rather cursed. And so take heed, dear friends. We are about to embark on a study that will either be a blessing or a curse for each and every one of us. My hope and prayer is that it may be a rich blessing for all. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. And please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Pronk, the former radio pastor of this program for many years, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, otherwise known as the five points of Calvinism. We hope that it may be a rich blessing to you. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go right to our webpage and make a donation on the webpage. Our webpage again is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you 
not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.